Okay, you doing okay? So I'll start with me again. Double portion of blessing this morning, at least for me, I speak for myself. So we're on a series entitled Crisis, What Crisis? God's Way to Do Money. Wouldn't it be good to know what God's way to do money was? Because then we could do it, right? All our problems would be solved. Anyway, this is the moment that you've all been waiting for. It's time to put the elephant right in the middle of the room. Today we are going to talk about the T word. There you go. You knew it was coming at some point, and I'd hate to disappoint you. Some of you are thinking, fantastic, now we're getting to the crunch, the good stuff, now you're talking. Some of you are thinking, here we go. Knew they were really just after my money. Others of you are probably thinking, T-word, what on earth is the T-word? Okay, so the T-word is the word tithe. And uh, I'm not sure what you thought it was. Assuming that's what you thought it was. Uh, in a nutshell, it, this is the old sort of biblical, old school biblical principle that the first tenth, uh, the 10%, the tithe, belongs to God and should be faithfully returned to him as an act of worship and surrender. Obviously, I'm going to give a little bit more detail than that as we, as we roll on here. But I'm going to start with a quick multiple choice. We all love a multiple choice. Why? Because it brings back such happy memories of school. So um, when I say the word tithe, the question is, what is your reaction? How, how does that particular word make you feel? And I'm going to give you four options. First one is A, uh-oh. Here comes the emotional manipulation. Here comes the guilt trip and the arm twisting, trying to get me to part with my hard-earned money buried deep into my very, very long pockets. I did that bit. Or is it B? Actually, this is just Old Testament legalism. Doesn't apply to me. This is the New Testament, baby. I'm free. That might be you. Or is it C? It's time to switch off. We've heard it all before. Press the snooze button. It will all be over in a minute. Just pass me my phone. Or could it be in doorway D? Praise the Lord. This right here is the doorway to financial freedom and blessing. Count me in. For me, it is massively D. For me, there is no A and there is no B. And I'm going to steer as far away from A and B as I possibly can this morning and hopefully C as well. In fact, I hope you, you don't pick up a single whiff of that today. And I hope to demonstrate to you that, that when the T word gets mentioned in this church, the only thing we should be thinking is D, which is that tithing is, is a gateway that God has put in place as a means to his blessing. Which shouldn't be a surprise to us when we've just spent half an hour talking about and singing about the goodness of God. Tithing is there to, to open the door to abundance and fruitfulness. It's there to provide for us financial freedom. 
God uses it to, to break the stranglehold of materialism. In fact, any form of financial idolatry. He uses it to keep us from any of those financial snares that we might fall into. And he uses it to help us to get all our financial ducks in the right order. Who loves having their ducks in the row? Praise the Lord, this message is for you. D, praise the Lord, this right here is the doorway into financial blessing and freedom. Count me in. Okay, so time for the theory, time for the doctrine, if you like. We're going to look at the classic Old Testament passage. It won't come as a great surprise to you. This is the one that's used most frequently to, to advocate for or to teach the principles of tithing. The context, we'll get to the passage in a minute. The context is written to the Jews, okay? And the Jews had just returned from exile in Babylon. That they've come home, that they've rebuilt the temple, that they've reestablished the priesthood and the sacrifices and all the religious routine and ritual that they had in place through the Mosaic law. And that all went fine for a while, but then they started to become complacent in their faith again. And the priests had begun to neglect and even corrupt their duties. So we pick up Malachi 3, verse 8. It says, should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try me. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies then all nations will call you blessed, for the land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. What an amazing passage. Starts with a, with a striking accusation from God to his wayward people as just described. He says this essentially, folks, you've lost your way. You've forgotten where all this comes from. Verse 8, you have been cheating me. The word used there literally means to rob, to steal. So, so to rob means, means to take something that doesn't belong to you, right? And so the point is, if the tithe actually belonged to you, God wouldn't have been able to call it stealing. And he goes on to say, because you have been withholding, you've placed yourself under a financial curse, they're strong words. You've stepped out from under my blessing, under my favor, my protection, my provision, because you've repeatedly disobeyed my word. In fact, you are now under a financial curse. You're under a financial curse as, as individuals and you're in a financial curse as a nation. And the point, I guess, is that you can only disobey or ignore or reject God's word for so long before there will inevitably be 
consequences. Okay, so once that issue's been laid bare, God issues a command and a promise. The command, verse 10, says, bring all the tithes, actually there's more than one tithe, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. In other words, his house. Bring the tithes into, in their case, the temple. And Then we have this stunning promise. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great that you won't have enough room to take it in. Anyone fancy having the windows of heaven open for them? How about blessings so great you won't have room enough to contain it? I'll be honest, I could squeeze just a little bit more money into my bank account if I had to. Then here's the kicker. God then says, test me. Verse 10, try it, put me to the test. I believe this is Scripture's only invitation from God to explicitly test him. And the way it's written is, I think it's almost like a dare. Go on, give it a go. Try me. I know this is your, your income, this is your hard-earned corn, this is your family's livelihood, but are you going to trust me or not? When push comes to shove, it nearly always comes down to, will you trust God or not? And then the promises continue. Verse 11, your crops will be abundant, for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight. Individual curse, nation curse. Individual blessing, nation blessing. All the nations will call you blessed, for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In other words, trusting God with the tithe positions you for blessing and favor. It also, as we read there, it places you under divine protection. God personally commits to, to himself to watching over his promises, and your finances. And I've heard it put like this. When, when, you, when you read this passage, if you really believe what it says, or at the very least, the New Testament equivalents of it, the logical conclusion that you have to draw is the risk is not deciding to tithe. The risk is choosing not to. What's at stake? You know, ultimately, what is this all about? And if, you've, if you've been around church circles long enough, you'll be well aware that there's an ongoing debate about whether tithing is one of these two things. Is it A, is it an Old Testament principle that no longer applies to us today, actually? and has instead been replaced by, by New Testament teaching which advocates for, for generous, proportional, cheerful giving. That's opinion one. Opinion two is actually tithing is a timeless principle that, that predates the Mosaic law and then sh therefore should still apply to us today. And frankly, I'm not going to go into all of that today because it would be long and dull. 
You know, for me, for me, this, this is not about whether it's a literal tenth or it's proportional giving. It's not about whether it's legally required or not. It's not about whether this is Old Testament or New Testament. I am convinced that the tithing is not so much a matter of legal compliance, but of these three things. It's a matter of faith, it's a matter of worship, and it's a matter of wisdom. Faith, who actually are you trusting in your financial life? Worship, who is Lord? Who really has hold over your heart? Remember last week, where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Who really is Lord? And then wisdom, whose principles are you going to choose to follow? I hope we can spend about five minutes on each of those three. Talk about faith to begin with. Tithing is about faith. Tithing is about trust. At the end of the day, who or what do we consider to be our source and supply? Am I trusting myself? Am I trusting my job? Am I trusting my boss? Am I trusting the system? Or am I trusting God Almighty? Here's a good one. You might, might have heard this before. Do you believe that God can do more with your surrendered 90% than you yourself can do with the whole 100? Remember this verse, Hebrews 11, verse 6, oft quoted, says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. You know, we understand that, that God is a faith God, and his kingdom is a faith kingdom. We are called to operate and live not by sight, but by faith. Remember those scriptures? And the reality is it takes faith to give generously every month before anything else comes out of your bank account. It takes faith to do something so counterintuitive, so radically obedient, particularly if the sums don't appear add up. But you know what? God loves it when we trust him. In fact, God demands that we trust him. And you know what? This Christian life thing only really works if we do. One more on faith. There's much I can say, but I want to rattle through this, this thing. You know, one of the, the first and strongest spiritual laws is the law of sowing and reaping. Three parts of that law. First of all, you reap what you sow. Secondly, you reap the same kind as you sow. And thirdly, you reap in proportion to what you sow. And of course, it takes, takes faith to plant that little seed in the ground and to trust that something miraculous is going to take place. I think this is why Jesus so commended that widow who gave those two little mites all she had, the faith it took to plant that seed and bury it in the ground and just trust that God would do something 
miraculous with. I think we sung, didn't we, right at the start? He's a God of miracles. Did we sing about impossible things? I saw you, you were singing along. I saw you. Here's a, here's a line. I believe this one is, is an inspired line. You can judge for yourself. One of the lies that the enemy would love to misdirect you with is that you can reap without sowing. I'll say that again, because I think this is an important line. One of the lies the enemy would love to confuse and fog and corrupt and misdirect you with is the lie that, that you can reap without sowing. I said, go and ask any farmer about that. You know, and in the natural and in the spiritual, and you can read about this in 2 Corinthians 9, you simply cannot cheat the law of sowing and reaping. But there's good news that goes with that. If there is seed being sown, God is personally watching over it, and he will use it to bring the increase. So here's the challenge out of that. In your financial world, is there any seed? Is there any faith? Remember, going back right to the start of the series, does, does your chair, you had to be there, does your chair have that fourth leg in place? So number one, Tithing is about faith. Second one, tithing is not about legal compliance. Tithing is about worship. But for me, tithing is about relationship. I give because I love you, Lord. I give because you first gave to me. I give because I want to be like you. I give to prove that I love you more than I love my money. Tithing is about relationship. Tithing is also about surrender. I'm prepared to lay it all down for you. If there's any inkling that you've said it, I'm in. Now, this act of obedience demonstrates that my financial world is willingly and wholeheartedly surrendered to you. And also, tithing is about, it's about submission. It's about statements like this. I turn away from my way. I choose to reject their way. And instead, I vow to follow yours. Here's, here's an old, another old line. Go something like this. If he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. You know, I think that's a little harsh. You know, we're all on a gradual journey of consecration and surrender. I doubt he's Lord of all for any of us, of all. But the thought does, for me at least, lead to this. Is he Lord in one of the most personal areas of all, which is your finances? Here's a, a little passage I love, use often. It's found in Job 22. There's actually eight verses. We've got to really quickly through it. It says this, it says, submit to God and you will have peace. And then things will go well for you. Continues, listen to his instructions and store them up in your heart. Verse 24, if you give up your lust for money 
and throw your precious gold into the river. The Lord Almighty himself will be your treasure. He will be your precious silver. Much in there, particularly read the whole passage. But in a nutshell, it goes like this. Submit to God and you'll be at peace. But have peace, you will find that elusive peace. You will find order and balance and health. And not only that, it'll go well for you. Let's call that spiritual prosperity. But the flip to that is if you, if you resist God, if you resist God, you'll be in turmoil. You'll, you'll be in confusion. You'll find yourself locked in frustration. You'll keep hitting your head against the same brick wall. We'll call that spiritual poverty. The lesson for me that comes out of that is, is you will only be at peace in any specific area of your life. You can name any area you like. You will only be at peace in any specific area of life, your life once you have truly submitted it to God. Okay, so by extension, you will only be at peace in your finances once you have truly submitted them to God. Now, I'll let you discern and determine what the Lord is saying to you about your finances, that's not my job. All I'll say is don't fight with God. No one has ever fought with God and won. And the best thing you can do is Job 22 verse 21, submit to God and you will have peace and then things will go well for you. Okay, so... Tithing is not so much about legal compliance. It's about faith. It's about worship. And it's also, thirdly, about wisdom. I'll do this one quickly. For me, I have decided to follow Jesus. And at least when the good intentions win, I've determined to take that as far as it needs to go. I would rather obey a little too precisely. I'd rather follow a little too fervently. I'd rather give a little too generously. Having made the assumption that God is cleverer than me, and if you haven't yet made that assumption, I do recommend it. Having made that assumption, you know, if it means that I have to bow lower, if it means I have to submit further or cling harder or follow closer, you know what? I'm good with that. And that means I need to keep asking, Lord, what is the kingdom way? What does the word say? Where is the spirit leading? How best can I steward what you've given me? How do I do this to make sure that I'm putting you first? For me, tithing simply comes down to being the wise thing to do. It it comes down to being the appropriate way for me to worship. It comes down to being a great way of keeping my faith active and my faith engaged and my faith pointed at the right person. I'll give you just a tiddly bit of my testimony. I don't want to bore you. But personally, personally, I'm, I'm settled and happy with the principle of tithing. You know, people talk, don't they, about about the closed hand 
and the open hand. There are certain areas of our doctrine and our faith that we're going to cling on to. Jesus died on the cross. The grave's empty. He rose from the dead. My sins are forgiven. God is seated on the throne of heaven. These things are closed hand. We're not going to dispute those. There are others that are probably a little bit held a little bit more loose. I'm not going to fall out with you if you tithe or not. I'm not. I'm not going to fall out with you over your relationship with the gifts of the Holy Spirit, whether you pray in tongues or not. I'm not going to fall out with you. Those are open hand as opposed to closed hand. And I think this is one of those. But for me personally, I'm happy and settled with this principle, which means that for us, he gets our first 10% calculated pre-tax for us. And he gets it first. It leaves our bank account and lands in the barn one more or less the same day it comes in. You know what? That has worked fine for me and for us for more than 30 years. You know, my experience is God has never once let me down. God has surprised me again and again and again. And as I look back and as I reflect, there's always been enough. Even when the financial forecasts are bleak, even when large and unexpected expenses rolled in, they have a habit of doing that. You know what I put it down to? I don't put it down to my financial acumen. I don't put it down to some great computational brain. I don't put it down to my tremendous income-raising abilities. I put it down to the promises and the faithfulness of God. I don't know, no, not only that, I have spoken to countless people over the years, and I could tell you many stories. I've spoken to several of you over the last few weeks who've said this is your exact same personal experience. That bizarrely, curiously, although frighteningly biblically, that the more they seem to give, the more they seem to have to give. There's an old expression, again, I've heard it rolled out in the last couple of weeks, you cannot outgive God. Should we be surprised that his promises work? You know, God is bound to his word and his promises. Jeremiah 1.12 says that God is watching over his word to perform it. You know, there is dripping anointing all over the promises of his word. And the sooner we realize that, the better off we will be in every regard. Let's look for a second at what God has said. Luke 6, verse 38, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Philippians 4, verse 19, My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Deuteronomy 15, verse 10, Give generously to them, and it's talking about the poor, Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and everything you put your hand to. Psalm 112 verse 5. Good will come to those who are generous and lend freely, who conduct their affairs with justice. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 6. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously also reap 
blameless. I believe in the principles of three, I should really only have used three verses, but it was a real struggle to bring it down to five, and I really want to evidence the point of the principle this morning. Which kind of brings us around to the overall message of this series. And it's this, if you will place yourself within the framework, if you will position yourself under the umbrella, if you will operate in the principles of God's word, if you will do that, you position yourself to receive, to operate in favor and blessing. And of course, in Malachi 3, God actually says, go on, test me. Try it out. Here's what will happen if you do. And I think the point of that challenge that God makes in Malachi chapter 3, verse 8 through 12, is that God has 100% confidence in his promises. Question is, do you? Last point I want to make before we wrap up is, is as a church, we, we also tithe from our income. You know, we want to make sure as a church that we are trusting and that we are worshipping and that we are wisely stewarding our resources. You know, those four chair legs that we talked about, they, they apply to us. Just as much. Number one, good stewardship, making sure there are no holes in our bucket. Secondly, you know, hard work. Are we working hard? Are, are we serving faithfully? Are we doing all that we know to do? Thirdly, do we have anything saved? Do we have contingency? Money set aside for rainy day? Absolutely, yes, we do. And then fourth one, are we giving? Are we generous? And I'm here to say that, that's certainly the plan. Which means that, that we give in the region of, as a church, from, from the money that you guys give, from the income that we get, which is only what you guys give, to be honest, we give about £20,000 each year to primarily these three things. Number one, to missions around the world, and including the missionaries that we regularly support. It, it's given to, to like-minded charities, locally, nationally, in some cases internationally. And it's also given in benevolence, meeting kind of pressing emergency crisis needs as they arise. And we would really love to be able to say yes every time that need arises. I, I want to say this. We don't tend to trumpet that, the benevolent stuff. We don't trumpet it. And I'll tell you why. Because I'm convinced that God has made it clear. Jesus in his teaching made it clear that we should do our good deeds out of the public gaze. But just by means of an example, you know, in the past we've bought, thinking about this, thinking about, we bought replacement fridges and ovens and washing machines for families who's broken and couldn't afford to replace it. All three of those, I think. You know, many times we provided meals and food parcels, particularly during the pandemic. You know, quite recently, we carpeted a single mum's house. We were phoned up by someone. They were moving into the area. They got, they got a family. Could we help? No carpet. Came to an agreement with the local carpet company, and we agreed to carpet their house. Can't carpet everyone's house, but we tried to carpet. Sorry, we tried to carpet hers. You know, we've, we've, another thing we've done is we've, we've contributed to other churches when we've heard that they're in a position of big deficit. And we've given as generous a contribution as we can. You know, that is a, it's, sowing that seed is wonderful. 
We certainly did that on one occasion. And not only were we blessed financially, because God is good, but you know what? It completely turned their situation around. I think they looked and said, you know, if the barn are prepared to, I can, I can, I can, so I can step up, I can step in. And that deficit got wiped away. Another thing we do is we regularly support um, some pastor's family as out there in, in uh, rural India, in the Hyderabad area, Agape Alive in India, you know, and it's amazing how far, of course, our giving will go over there. You know, we can provide for many families with what to us is relatively small donations. You see, in essence, as a church, we want to be good financial stewards. We want to operate in sound biblical principles, including this one. We want to point our resources at the mission the Lord has given us. And we certainly want to give generously where the Holy Spirit is leading. Okay, let's wrap all this up. This is very beautifully patient. Okay, now, I'll put it like this. I don't, I don't think, in fact, I'm pretty sure that the Lord is not going through the barn bank account every week with his calculator. I don't think he's doing his sums and he's working out percentages and giving everyone either a tick or a cross or a good or bad or the old school put could do better. But you know what I do think? That he is searching our hearts. God is looking for people who get it. He's looking for people who honor him. He's looking for people who will truly worship him, and that comes in many ways, of course. He's looking for people that have time to get in this day, maybe next time. He's looking for people that he can trust to use as a conduit for his kingdom resources. Okay, so perhaps the worship team would like to come to the front, which is always a good sign that I'm nearly done. Um, I've certainly been in worship teams where that means another 15 minutes at least, but on this occasion it doesn't. The response today really is going to be the same every week in this series, surprise, surprise. The response simply is for you and me and us to surrender afresh our financial world and lives and accounts the Lord. And to do that, I'm going to encourage you this morning to ask three specific questions. That's okay. I invite you as we respond, as the the band sing over you, just to ask these questions. Ask the Lord, what's what's the answer for me here? And, And question number one is this, is my financial world submitted to God or am I resisting what I know he's telling me? That line could be in every preach, incidentally, not just this one. Is my financial world submitted to God or am I resisting what I know he's telling me? Number two, slightly different. Number two is, am I making my financial decisions out of faith or fear? I doubt I need to tell you what the right answer is. You know, we say many times over, faith decisions are great decisions. Fear decisions are rarely good decisions. It's a good question to take to the Lord. Are they faith decisions or are they fear decisions? And then the third one is is even more specific than that. And, And this is personal. And it's to ask this, what is faith calling for today? Great question. What is faith calling for 
from you today? Why do you ask the Lord that question?